The title of our new sermon series, it's probably going to be a really long series. And so that means that it might be interrupted from time to time with other things the Lord wants to teach us, and then we'll keep coming back to it and building on it. And it's likely to uh, be a whole bunch of sermons, right? So I encourage you that if you know of anyone that could benefit, in a moment you'll hear the title and you'll know why I say it, this is an opportunity for you to either give out teachings or to bring people so that the Lord can accomplish in them what His will is. And the title of the series is called Healing is the Will of God. Healing is the Will of God. And we are going to look at reason after reason after reason after reason after reason from Scripture why healing is God's will for you today. I don't know how many reasons we're going to get to, but it's going to be more than a few. So go with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, and we will begin in verse 12. While he was in one of the towns, a man was there who had a serious skin disease all over him. The word is covered. Now, you've got to remember, Luke was a physician. He's a doctor. So when Dr. Luke says you have leprosy, you're covered in it, then it's bad. It's not like the other guys that just mentioned it. But Dr. Luke says, no, he's covered in it. He saw Jesus, he fell face down and begged him, Lord, if, everyone say if, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now remember, this guy has just broken all kinds of rules. He has broken social distancing rules. He has a contagious skin disease. They are allowed to stone him right now according to the law given to Moses. And this guy risks all of that. It's like, I'm going to die anyway. I've heard about this guy. I've heard that people are getting healed from him. And this is a death sentence to me anyway. I'm going to go try. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Reaching out his hand, he touched him. Saying, I am willing. I am willing, be made clean. And immediately the disease left him. Wow, what a powerful moment. In fact, just to help us see this moment a little more clearly, why don't you turn your attention to the screen and watch a short clip about this. It's a leper. Stay back. Cover your mouth. Don't breathe his air. Don't come any closer. It's okay, John. It's okay. Rabbi, 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 you cannot. This disease, you Please. Please. Please don't turn away from me. I won't. Lord. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Only if you want to, I submit to you. 
My sister, she was a servant at the wedding. She told me what you could do. I know you can heal me if you are willing. I am willing. <laughs> Be cleansed. Seek your own honor. Please just do me this one thing. Uh, but what do I tell people? Go. Show yourself to the priest. Let them inspect you and see that you are cleansed. Make the proper offering in the temple as Moses commanded. And go on your way. Uh, uh. Who has an extra tunic? Just one of you, just one of you. That's enough. Green is definitely your color. Oh. <laughs> Not too shabby. So often we read these stories and we <clears throat> turn them into, I don't know, we, it loses its humanity, right? And I think they did an excellent job of bringing out the humanity and the compassion and the love of Jesus. You know, here in our text, he says, if you are willing... You can make me clean. Now, he's not doubting the Lord's ability. He's only questioning whether or not he wants to. Let me read to you from a few other translations. From the Living Bible, it says it this way, on a certain day, one day in a certain village he was visiting, there was a man with an advanced case of leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell to the ground before him, face down in the dust, begging to be healed. Sir, he said, if you only will, you can clear me of every trace of my disease. Jesus reached out, touched the man, and said, Of course I will be healed. And the leprosy left him instantly. The BBE reads this way, that he, he went down on his face in prayer to him, saying, Lord, if it is your pleasure, you have power to make me clean. And he put out his hand to him and said, it is my pleasure. Be clean. The TS 2009 reads this way. He fell on his face and begged him saying, Master, if you desire, 
you are able to cleanse me. And he stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I desire it. Be cleansed. Now, this would have been an excellent opportunity for Jesus to say, well, now, now, it's not always God's will. Why do you presume to know? It's now, now, son, I'm just trying to teach you a lesson. I'm working out some things in your life. The time isn't right yet. It's not the right time. It's for my glory. You just stay sick. It's for my glory. You know, verse 12 here, his, this guy saying, if you are willing, you can make me clean. This is where millions of Christians are today. This is the exact same place when it comes to healing. They don't know if it's God's will or not to heal them. If you can. They know He is able. They just don't know if He wants to. You know, if it's God's will. They pray like, Lord, I just ask You to heal them if it be Your will. And I guess what's implied, if not, kill them. If that makes you feel better, Lord, snuff them out. That's what's implied, isn't it? If it's Your will, well, what's the alternative? Getting worse. Getting sicker. Dying. You know, when you doubt God's ability, that's one thing. You just need educated to know that no, God is able to do that. But when you doubt His character, this is like a slap in His face. If you want to. In other words, I question your goodness, Lord. You know, if your child was sick and you had the ability to heal them, for them to be completely relieved of the horrible suffering and pain that they're in, and you chose to withhold it because, well, you're trying to develop their character, you would go to jail. But yet, we quickly will put that on the Lord and treat the Lord that way. Oh, He's trying to teach us something. Why He's doing this to us right now. But Jesus, He's like, no. He reaches out and touches Him. He goes, I am willing. I will. Is this good news or what? You know, Hebrews 13.8 says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so if this is who He was 2,000 years ago, because forever covers from 2,000 years ago till now, if He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and if He would say, I will to one guy, then what would happen if He was standing up here tonight, right here, and someone came to Him and said, would you heal me? What would He say to them? He would say the exact same thing, or He's a liar. But He's not a liar. He's the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. And if someone came up and said, um, would you heal me? He would say, yeah, I'm willing. Why? Because He's not a respecter of persons. He doesn't show favoritism. Acts 10, 34 and 35 say this, Then Peter began to speak. Now I really understand that God doesn't show favoritism. What is showing favoritism? Doing things for one that I wouldn't do for another. You know, you're special. I'm going to do it for you, but I'm not going to do it for you. No, he says, God doesn't show favoritism, but in every nation, the person who fears Him and does righteousness is acceptable to Him. That levels the playing field for every person. 
that he doesn't respect, he doesn't show favoritism from one person to another. And if it's, if, if, if Romans 12, 2, 11, I mean Romans 2, 11 says this, there is no favoritism with God. So another scripture. So it's important that when we build a doctrine, that we have more than just one scripture verse to stand on. Because that's how you get in trouble. I said how, earlier tonight, I said, how, what's the right way to divide the Word of God? By other word. Now, meaning, you need more than one witness. You know, in the Old Testament, they had laws about when an accusation would come, you needed two or three witnesses. In the New Testament, they said, let every word be established by two or three witnesses. Jesus Himself lived by this rule. He said, man, don't just believe this witness. And He had like six, eight of them that He listed in, in the Gospel of John in like one chapter of all the different witnesses. And so... It's important that we have more than one witness. It's important that we have more than just one Bible verse that talks about healing and we build a whole thing on healing on that. I mean, in order to be scriptural, what is it that you need? Scripture. Yeah, surprise, surprise. If, you, if, you're gonna, if your beliefs are going to be scriptural, you need Scripture. And a lot of people believe things that are just not in the Scripture. They're man-taught. Acts 17, let's go over there. I'll show you another verse. Verse 2 in Acts chapter 17. As usual, someone say usual. Or you could say as was his habit. Paul went to them on three Sabbath days, reasoning with, that'd be like church, going to church. And he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. He did what? He, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to circle that word reasoned in my Bible. He did what? He reasoned with them. He reasoned with them. Well, from, because he had great ideas? He reasoned with them because he had such a persuasive, charismatic personality? He reasoned with them from what? On what basis? It says from the Scriptures. There's the key. He reasoned from the Scriptures explaining and showing that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead saying this is the Messiah Jesus whom I am proclaiming to you. So that's what we're going to do, is we're going to reason from the Scriptures on healing and God's will. Is healing the will of God? And we're going to answer that question again and again and again and from different angles and looking at... We're going to, we're going to answer hard questions. We're going to look at questions that are difficult about healing. And we're going to answer some of those questions. And look, we're going to look into the Word for our answers. And we're going to allow the Word to show us what God's will is. You know, some say, well, that's not what I believe. That it's God's will to heal everyone. And that's not what my church believes. Are you entitled to your own opinion? I don't think you are entitled to your opinion. We're told in the Word what to believe. You can have your own opinion. I mean, you can go to hell if you want. But you're told. You know, our opinion doesn't count. What we think doesn't matter. Our belief must be based in the Word. Remember, Jesus is the Word. Our belief has to be based in the Word of God. We are commanded to believe Him. He has given us an entire book telling us what to believe. A whole book 
that talks about who He is, His character, what His will is, here's what He did. How do we know what God will do in the future? By looking at what He did in the past. What did He do in times past? Well, He did this. We can expect the same thing from Him. Because it says He doesn't change. There's so much unscriptural thinking out there. In order for your belief, I said it before, to be scriptural, you need what? Well, Scripture. So, i got a question. Where is the Scripture? Where's the Scripture that says it's not God's will to heal always? Where's the Scripture that says God's trying to teach us? Where's, where's the Bible verse? I mean, if, if someone's going to be so stuck on that, where are you getting the right to believe that from the Bible? Jesus said, I will. Now, catch this. He also said, I do nothing of myself. I asked the Lord today in my office, I said, Lord, is there anything in particular that you want me to make sure they, they catch? And he said, yes. So listen to what I'm going to tell you. Everything that Jesus did was a direct revelation of God's will. Everything Jesus did was a manifestation of God's will. He said, I don't say anything that God, I don't hear Him say. I don't do anything I don't see Him do. So every single time Jesus did something, it was a direct revelation of what God's will is. So that needs to be the lens that we begin to look at things through. And you hold up that lens and you look at your life and you go, does this line up with how Jesus behaved? In fact, Hebrews 1 verse 3 says this way. I'm going to read from the TPT translation. It says, the sun is the dazzling radiance of God's splendor. Get this. The exact expression of God's true nature. His mere image. So the way Jesus operated as He walked the earth was exactly what the nature and will and character of what God is. Not one time did Jesus ever turn someone away for healing that came to Him. Not once. Every single case that came to Him for healing, they were healed. Not one time did He say, no, it's not the right time for you. Not one time did He say, you know what, we're going to work some things out in your life and give it a little while and, and learn the things that I'm trying to teach you. Not once did He do that. And yet people hold on to the stubborn idea that it's not God's will maybe to heal me. So Father, I pray for Aunt Dorothy, right? I just ask You to touch her and heal her and if it be Thy will. Well, we don't use that same standard of prayer for, to get someone saved. Lord, I just ask You to save Uncle Harold if it be Your will. What kind of foolishness is that? Why, would, why don't we pray that way? Because we know it's God's will that He be saved. So we're not going to say, if it's your will. It's the same way for healing. In the Bible, it clearly shows us God's will for all to be healed. And if you can't show some, from Scripture that you believe or why you believe it from Scripture, then you probably shouldn't be believing it. So here's the question. How can we find the will of God? Let me ask another question. Is everything that happens the will of God? I was confident we'd all say no. But yet in our day-to-day -day conversations, I hear other things that imply something different. 
Is everything that happens God's will? See, many folks take a wait-and-see approach when it comes to healing. How will you know if it's God's will for you to be healed? Well, if I'm healed, I guess, then we'll know God wanted me healed. And if I'm not, then I know it was just my time to go. In other words, if it happens, it's God's will, whatever I prayed for. If it doesn't happen, it wasn't His will. It's results or lack of results. That's how we determine what God's will is. That's how people do. But that's not right. It's, not, it's, it's wrong. Where is the Scripture for this sort of approach? Is that what we do for people when it comes to salvation? Well, we'll see if they go to hell or not. And if they go to hell, well, then it wasn't God's will for them to go to heaven. No, we don't, we don't make decisions based on the outcome there. Why are we over here in some other things? You know, well, if it works out, we'll know that's what the Lord wanted. Apparently, that church building wasn't what we were supposed to have. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was. If you decide to determine what God's will is based on results, you're going to be just in a lot of problems. You cannot know the will of God based on outcome of your circumstances. That's just being spiritually lazy and it's irresponsible. Blaming everything on God. Keith Moore calls it a no-fault religion. Everything is the Lord's deal. You were swatting at that spider in the car and you ran off the road and hit a telephone pole and I don't know, the Lord works in mysterious ways. <laughs> you lost all your money in a savings, from your savings account because of a bad investment. And, well, I guess the Lord knows He just needs us to rely on Him. Yeah, He does know that. We don't know why that happened. But, you know, God knows best. And we shouldn't question the Almighty. Everything happens for a reason after all. Yep, it does. And sometimes the reason is, is that you did something dumb or made a mistake or were ignorant. Right? Sure, there's a reason why it happened, but it doesn't mean it was a divine purpose behind it. Maybe the divine purpose was the devil trying to take you out. So how do we know, how do we determine, how do we ascertain what God's will is? Talk to him. Yeah, that's certainly one of them that we're going to do. Let's go to Romans chapter 12. Let's answer this. Romans 12 verse 2. Now, if you've been with us recently, you've heard us read this verse many times in a recent series. In verse 2 it says, You know how when you were pagans, you were led... I'm sorry, I'm in 1 Corinthians. It's like, man, I just don't remember it that way. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, the pleasing, and the complete will of God. Your mind needs to be renewed so that you start thinking right, so that you know what God wants. The good, the pleasing, the complete will of God. If everything that happened was God's will, then He wouldn't have told us how to get our thinking right so that we can know what He wants. Because it wouldn't matter what our thinking was because He's just going to work out all things that He wants to work out. When people quote the Scripture, well, all things work together for the good of them that please God. Yeah, that's completely different than saying God did everything for your benefit. That God was the one orchestrating all those calamities for your benefit. 
You know, we'll talk about Job at some point through all of this, but, you know, God wasn't the one that brought all that stuff to Job. That was clearly the devil. Now, did God cause good? Did God turn everything on its head and make so that good came out of it in the end? Yes. But it wasn't the Lord who did it to him. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3. For this is God's will. Oh boy, are you listening? This is God's will. Your sanctification. That you abstain from sexual immorality. Is there still sexual immorality going on in the body of Christ today? Is that God's will? Then why is it happening? Because clearly not. God's will doesn't just automatically come to pass. Look at chapter 5, verse 18. Give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Give thanks in everything. Now, not for everything, but in all circumstances, you could say. You give thanks. Give thanks for everything. So, is giving thanks God's will? Are there still Christians that are complaining and griping and whining and moaning and being unthankful? Is that God's will that they do that? No. How would we know? How do we know? Scripture says so right here, right? It tells us God's will is be thankful. So if giving thanks is the will of God, then complaining cannot be the will of God. If being saved and going to heaven is the will of God, then dying and going to hell cannot be the will of God. If living pure and keeping yourself sexually holy is the will of God, then sexual immorality cannot be the will of God. If being healed and delivered is the will of God, then being sick and in bondage cannot be the will of God. Yet, there's a lot of Christians in the world that don't believe this in spite of the overwhelming evidence in Scripture if they just look at it. You know, if God really wants you to be sick, then you have no business trying to get better. If God wants you to be sick, you don't be going to the doctor trying to get out of His will. You don't be taking medication trying to get out of what God wants for you. You don't even ask for prayer to get better. Maybe ask for more of it, because if it's what God wants, then I want the full pure dose of it. I mean, lay down and enjoy it. Stop trying to get out of the will of God if He wants you to be sick. I mean, the Bible tells us that rebellion is like the sin of witchcraft. So if God wants you to be sick and you're going to the hospital and inadvertently trying to get out of His will, we've got a problem. It just doesn't make logical sense at all. Maybe you're one of those that say, well, I don't know if it's God's will if He wants me to be sick or not. Yay. Because we're going to find His will again and again over the coming weeks and months and concerning this on sickness and is it God's will that I be healed. However, if you don't know God's will, go with me over to Ephesians chapter 5. You have a responsibility to find out His will. If you don't know what God's will is on any matter that you are needing to know, that's a key phrase, that you need to know. A lot of people want to know things they don't need to know. If you're going to the Lord and there's something that you need to know, 
then you have a responsibility to find out what his will is. Verse 17 in chapter 5 of Ephesians says, Don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Now, he would not say this to us if it were not possible to know his will. He would say, you know, just grin and bear it and hope, bump along and hope for the best. But no, he said, know what the Lord's will is. Understand what His will is. That means that because you have a renewed mind that you're going to seek out what does God want in this situation and you're going to know. And why would the Lord want you to know? So that you can put your faith in a certain direction. F.F. Bosworth said this in his book, Christ the Healer. He said, faith begins where the will of God is known. You cannot believe something. You cannot have faith for something that you don't know what God's will is on. It's impossible. You can't even get saved and go to heaven if you don't know if it's His will for you to be saved. First thing that happens is someone tells you, you hear, and you understand, oh, the Lord loves me and has made a way for me to have a relationship for Him. He wants me to be saved. And so that's how you come into the kingdom to begin with. We're commanded to know His will. Father, you know, if it be your will, save Uncle Harold. Well, no, we know that's his will. All right? Let, um, let me say this first. It's imperative that we understand what the will of God is because Jesus said this. He said in Mark 3, verse 35, He said, whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. So if you're not doing the will of God, that implies you would not be those things. So it's extremely important that we know what His will is so that we can do those things. No more going victim to, well, I don't know what the Lord wants. It's just up to Him. It's all in God's hands. That's the biggest cop-out. There is a time to say that. Most of the time I've heard it, it is not the time. So let's read it again here. Let's go back to verse 15 to bring it in context. Pray, pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, redeeming the time or making the most of the time because the days are evil. So we need to be wise. And how are we going to be wise? Well, by knowing what the Lord's will is. He explains that in verse 17. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And don't get drunk with wine. Why? Because that's foolish, which leads to reckless actions. But... Be filled with the Spirit. So you're going to need the Holy Spirit to be able to discern what the Lord's will is. He tells us His will here, but you need the Holy Spirit to be able to understand what's written here. He's your teacher. He opens up your mind to it. Let's keep reading. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That's singing in tongues. Singing and making music to the Lord in your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. You know, Romans 8.27 tells us this, that he who searches the hearts knows the Spirit's mindset. And what is the Spirit's mindset earlier in the same chapter in Romans 8? You see how the mindset of the Spirit is life and peace. Life and peace. 
And so he knows the Spirit's mindset because he, that's the Holy Spirit, intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So the Holy Spirit inside of you is going to help you, is going to pray even in words that can't be expressed in tongues, is going to help you to pray out the perfect will of God. That implies it would be possible for you to pray in a way that would not be the will of God. A renewed mind. This is how we know what the good, the pleasing, the perfect will of God is with a renewed mind. By getting the Word into you. Let's go to... Maybe we'll do one or two more Scriptures. Matthew... um, Let's go to Mark. Mark 9. Now, we haven't gotten to any reasons yet, just so you know. And, and we're not going to tonight. We're just laying a foundation for where we're going. Uh, we have to be lovers of truth. We have to love the Word. We have to allow the Word to shape our thinking, our beliefs, our theology, all of it. And if our thinking, our beliefs, our theology is something we brought along from our past and it doesn't line up with what's here in the Scripture, then it needs changed. Mark chapter 9, verse 27. Now this is where the man with the child that had a demon came to the disciples. The disciples, they couldn't do anything about it. And so he comes to Jesus and he says, um, you know, he, asked, he tells him that he, the disciples weren't able to do anything about it. And then in verse 21, Jesus asks, how long has this been happening to him? From childhood, he said, in verse 22, And many times it has thrown him into the fire or water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Now here he's not doubting Jesus' desire. He's doubting his ability. So the guy we read about back in Luke, he came doubting whether or not he wanted to, questioning whether or not he wanted to. It's like, I know you can if you want to. Jesus says, I want to. And yet here, this guy shows up and says, if you can. Not sure if he can. Well, he just, he'd obviously heard about the disciples and the miracles they were doing. Right? All kinds of things happening. Devils being driven out. I mean, the disciples came back to Jesus said, even the devils listen to us. And so that word was getting out. This guy finds out about it. He comes to them thinking they're going to be able to help him and they can't do anything. Now he's thinking, well, maybe Jesus can't either. Maybe this one's too big. If you can do something, have compassion on us and help us. Then Jesus said to him, if you can. Some translations put a question mark there. I don't believe it's supposed to have one. There's no, no punctuation like that in the original. It's just in the English. Then Jesus said to him, if you can. Everything is possible to the one who believes. If you can believe, everything is possible. Say, no, 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 it's not on me. It's on you. It's, it's not if I can, it's if you can, he's telling him. If you can believe, everything's possible to you. I'm not withholding from you. Can you believe? <laughs> See, a lot of people have this idea that when they pray and ask the Lord for something, in particular healing, the Lord is like reading emails. And He comes down across all the requests and nope to this one, nope to this one, nope to this one, yeah to this one. 
But that's not what God is doing. He's not up there just arbitrarily deciding yes or no to requests. He has set certain promises and laws, we call it covenant, in place. And when you come under those parameters, the answer is yes. And amen. That's right. That's right. All right, what does he say? He says, if you can, everything is possible to the one who believes. Immediately the father of the boy cried out, I do believe, help my unbelief. Right here, he's, he's recognizing and even saying, I have some unbelief. You know, one of the things that's the most been, been the most amazing to me in the last probably two years has been all the places I'm seeing in the Word where He helped them in spite of their doubt, in spite of their little faith, in spite of their unbelief. You know, so often we disqualify ourselves because, well, yeah, I do have that little shadow of doubt over here, so I'm not in full enough faith yet. Oh, stop it! Even with a little faith, He pulls all these miracles off. I do believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was rapidly coming together, He rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Then it came out, shrieking and convulsing him violently. The boy became like a corpse, so that many said he's dead. But Jesus, taking him by the hand, raised him up, and he stood. After he went into the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why couldn't we drive it out? And he answers that, in Matthew 17, verse 20, for those of you that want to look it up later. You know, there's 19 individual cases of healing in Scripture <clears throat> of individuals that came and requested healing. Or, not, no, I shouldn't say came. There was 19 individual cases of healing. Ten of those 19 cases, the person's faith was referenced. Be it unto you according to your faith. According to your faith, so and so. Nineteen, uh, ten different times of those 19, their faith was directly referenced. Another six times of those 19, their faith wasn't referenced, but you can easily see their faith in reading the story. Let's go to Matthew 9. Close there. The worship team can come up if they'd like. In Matthew 9 and verse 27... As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed Him, shouting, Have mercy on us, Son of David! When He entered the house, the blind men approached Him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I can do this? Yes, Lord, they answered. Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, Let it be done for you according to your faith. And their eyes were opened. Let it be done for you according to your faith. Where does faith come from? It comes from the Word. It comes from hearing the Word. Romans 10 tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. So in this series, if you know of someone that is believing God for healing, then get this series, get this teaching into their hand. Bring them. If you know of someone that needs healing, maybe they're not believing God. Maybe they think it's God's will for them to be sick. Maybe they don't know. Maybe they're not a believer at all. Let's get truth to them and give them opportunity to receive. Opportunity for a miracle. 
opportunity for Jesus to be glorified. Opportunity for a testimony. Opportunity for darkness to be pushed back. Say, I have a Savior. And it's His will to save me. I have a healer. I have a healer. And it's His will to heal me. Father, we thank you for your gift of life to us. Thank you for relationship with you. Father, I ask you to just encounter each person here. Encounter each person as they go tonight, even on their bed, that you come upon them, that you overshadow them. Father, I thank you for your safety on each person. Father, I thank you that you have given us authority. And that you have given us victory. Father, I thank you that you have established victory. And we stand upon this truth. Lord, I ask you for an increased awareness of how we can work with you. An increased awareness of what your will is. And increase awareness of what is required of us in this time, in this season, individually and corporately. Father, I lift this nation up to you right now. Our president. Father, I ask that you just touch him and his wife that you bring life and health on them, that you heal them. Thank you, Lord. Father, I ask that you open up their understanding so they might receive healing. Father, I thank you that you touch our leaders with wisdom, that you impart wisdom to them, that you send people to them that are full of truth and righteousness and wisdom. Lord, that righteousness will prevail in the land. Father, I ask that you... Stir mightily in the body of Christ today through this nation. Give boldness in great measure to your people, Lord, that we would rise up fearless, full of boldness, full of life, full of truth, being the salt and the light that you've created us to be. Father, I ask you to stretch forth your hand and do signs and wonders as we proclaim the name of Jesus to this land. Father, you've put us here, so we just call Jesus Lord of the United States, Lord of this country, Lord of Pennsylvania, Lord of Landisville. I just set a guard around every person. Every person that belongs to Church of the Word International. Every person that's listening by internet. Father, I just set a guard around each one. A protection. Your hedge of protection. In the name of Jesus. That no devil in hell. No disease. No virus. Nothing shall by any means harm them. 
And that as they go and as they're bold, Father, that your protection overshadows them. That your angels overshadow them. That your power works mightily in them. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus sets each one of you free from the law of sin and death. Father, I believe it. I declare it. I receive it in Jesus' name. Go in peace, go in boldness, go in life. We have a time of fellowship downstairs. Everyone is invited to participate. There's some finger foods and hugs and family. Good evening, everyone. Oh, it's so great to see each and every one of you here tonight. Thank you so much for coming. I'd like to encourage you in our worship time with the Word of God. And they're such a good one. They're all good. But in Psalms 89, I love this psalm. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. That's what, that's what America needs right now, isn't it? The mercy of God mercy and justice I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever with my mouth I will make known thy faithfulness to all generations for I have said mercy shall be built up forever thy faithfulness shall thou establish in your very heavens I've made a covenant with my chosen that's you I have sworn unto my David my servant thy seed will be established forever and I will build up the throne to all generations and the heavens shall praise thy wonders O Lord thy faithfulness also in the congregation of the saints for who in the heaven can be compared to the Lord who among the sons of the mighty can be likened unto the Lord God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be had in reverence of all those who are about him. O Lord of hosts, who is strong, Lord, a strong Lord, who is like thee, or to thy faithfulness around and about thee. The heavens are thine, the earth also is thine, as for the world and the fullness thereof, thou hast founded them. Thou hast a mighty arm, a strong is thy hand, and high is thy right hand. Justice and judgment are the habitation of thy throne mercy and truth shall be shall go before thy face that is the atmosphere around the throne of god judgment and justice mercy and truth blessed is the people that know the joyful sound they shall walk O lord in the light of thy countenance and in thy name shall they rejoice all the day and in thy righteousness shall they be exalted Wow, it's beautiful, isn't it? Isn't it wonderful to hear the word of God? So let's stand together as a beautiful family. And you are all the beloved of the Lord in this place tonight. Let's worship together the Lord. Hallelujah. You say this after me. Trust in the Lord, Trust in the Lord. With, all your heart. with all your heart. Lean not. 
on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge Him, and He'll make your path straight. So the song we're going to do says all that, just kind of differently, but uh, it's a great confession for us. Amen? Let's trust in Him, not what everybody else is telling us. Amen? Okay. The way we can trust you and know that you are trustable is because you're a good God, a faithful Father, from everlasting to everlasting, before the foundations of the earth, you made a plan of redemption for each and every human being that you gave breath to. You sent your only begotten son, Jesus, and Jesus was obedient to the cross. And through that shed blood that he did for each and every one of us, we have, re we have redemption from all our sins. We've been, we have total forgiveness from them, Lord. We thank you for being redeemed from destruction, from the kingdom of darkness. We thank you that by the blood of Jesus, we are the healed. Thank you, Father, that you crowned us as kings and priests right here on the earth, representing Jesus, your son. Father, we thank you that you fill our mouth with good things so that our youth is renewed like the eagles. We trust you, Father, tonight. We're so thankful. We're grateful children of God. Now, why don't you turn to somebody tonight and say, I'm so glad you're here. I'm glad you're a child of God. Well, welcome to Church of the Word International. All right, well, we're going to return our tithe to the Lord tonight. Now, we return the tithe. I say it that way, return the tithe, because it's his. It was his to begin with. The tenth belongs to him. That's what Malachi says. We also return the tithe because we love him. And it's an outward demonstration acknowledging that the Lord is our source. And that we're completely reliant on him. Without him, where would we be? I don't even, I don't even want to think. That's right. I don't even want to think about that. All right. Well, turn to Deuteronomy. I wanted to read you something in Deuteronomy. Chapter 8. Uh, beginning in verse 7. And I want you to see some things here. See, God wants you to live in abundance. He wants you to be satisfied in life. He doesn't desire that you be in lack in any way. And when we read this, you're going to see that, but you're also going to see a word of caution here that we not forget where these things come from. So I want to read, starting in verse 7, says, for the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. So he's talking to that old, uh, that first generation of Israelites. For the Lord is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing. Are you getting a picture here of abundance? Beautiful, flourishing, everything. He does not want you to lack. A land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. And you shall eat and be full. And you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Take care, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. 
lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, can you say, you know, once your business is built up and now you've got 50 employees and, and now your net worth has doubled, here's what you're to take care that you don't forget. All right? Don't forget. So when all of that, when all this abundance is going on, take care that then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end, Beware. So if the Lord tells us to beware, do you not think that there is some danger here? I mean, he's saying it for a reason. Beware lest you say in your heart. So you might not be out there just saying, yep, this is all me. Look, man, ain't I pretty smart? You know, I really got it going on. I figured out a few things. Maybe you're not saying that, but what are you in your heart thinking? What's your heart position? Beware lest you say in your heart, my power... And the might of my hand has gotten me this wealth. Verse 18, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is to this day. See, God wants you to be in abundance. He wants you flourishing and in plenty and and all of that. He doesn't want you to lack. But you're not to think that once you're in this position that, oh, you know, I'm pretty smart. It's my abilities. I mean, some people, you know, they just don't have it in business, but, you know, I got it going on. No, it's the Lord. Whatever you have, your resources, your wealth, your, wherever you're at in life, he's the giver. So don't ever forget that. And one way we uh, demonstrate that we have not forgotten the Lord, it says here, that you keep his commands, that you keep his covenant. And so tonight we act on the covenant of the tithe, where we turn that to him, we acknowledge him as our source, and we're just grateful kids. Amen? All right, well, let's take a hold of that and let's pray over it. Father, we are so grateful tonight for to you, and we just present this tithe to you, we present our offerings to you, and we're, we're thankful that you give us the ability to tithe. We, we thank you that we have income that we have jobs, that we have resources from which to give return a tenth to you. And I just thank you that your heart is so good and abundant towards us that you don't desire that we lack in anything. So I just thank you that every need is met in this house and that the windows of heaven are opened for the tither. And we just give you the praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen. And the ushers can pass the baskets and the people will be obedient to the Lord. Well, good evening. And as Jen already had started to tell you, we have Pastor Kurt Owen coming, and we're going to be doing a very important series. You're not going to want to miss it. It'll change your life. And the name of it is going to be The Love of God. All right? And he's coming on the 31st, and so Halloween is a great day to get together and talk about holy things. And um, he is going to be with us Saturday night 
Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night. And so we're going to start all of that off though on the previous Wednesday with a night of worship. So we go into His courts with thanksgiving and praise and then the Lord is going to minister to you that weekend. You know, one of the biggest hindrances for receiving from the Lord that stops you from receiving from Him is your lack of understanding of His love for you. We set all these things in the way between us and Him and we think somehow we haven't deserved it. We, haven't, we put all these qualifiers on it. And yet, if we'll get a hold and grasp the true love of God that He has for you and I, then your receiving will become so much easier. So, I encourage everyone, mark it on your calendar. I know our Saturday night services are a little more difficult to uh, come to, yet I encourage you to come on our Saturday nights. It's when the church service is. I mean, what's more important than getting together? And worshiping the Lord. And, you know, we're, we don't want to be the kind of Christian that only goes to church because it fits our schedule. I mean, that would be horrible. And so, no, we make our time, our fellowship, our gathering, our assembly together, we make it work with our schedule. Or, I'm sorry, we make our schedule work with it. Now, believe with me that we'll be able to move to a Sunday morning again. And that the Lord's going to provide a building for us that will meet all of our needs. Down in the lobby, if you didn't see it when you came in, you see it on the way out. We have some uh, voter guides that you can pick up in the general election voter guides as well as another pamphlet there. So pick those up if you haven't. If you have any questions, it'll answer some questions for you there. Um, In particular, remember that you have a responsibility to vote in this nation. And, and you, you are held accountable for the things you do, whether you do or don't do them. Right? If, if there's a call of God on your life into the ministry, just because you run away from the Lord, doesn't mean you're not going to stand before the Lord and answer what you did with that call. Well, as with any other responsibility that you have, you're going to answer what did you do with what I gave you with the responsibility that was put in your hands. So let's go out and use our responsibility in a godly way and vote for righteous change in this nation. I want to jump right into a number of different things. We have, we're going to start a new series tonight. But before we do that, we have two mini-sermons that we're going to go through. You know, these question cards that we have, Um, We received a couple questions that are excellent questions and questions that I'm grateful that were asked because they're good for all of us to look at and examine and say, yeah, what about that? And so the first one we're going to look at um, is on the issue of several weeks ago, I kind of right in the middle of the sermon, it just came on me real strong and I just said it, that You know, if you have, someone needs to go home and have a book burning, I think I said something like that. And those Harry Potter novels, you need to get rid of them. Well, that brought a question, right? And and the question was simply this, and it's legitimate. It says, how come Harry Potter is seen as evil to many as opposed to Narnia or the Lord of the Rings, when all include magic, including a good character who has magic? 
all have fictional creatures, and all can be used to teach biblical lessons such as standing and fighting against evil, fighting temptation, light versus dark, community, etc. Thanks for helping me understand. So, that's a legitimate question. What's the difference? And, and where do we draw the line? And w- what makes one okay and the other one not okay? So before I get into all of that, I'll just make a statement. I think most of you know that I'm not trying to win a popularity contest. (laughs) So with that disclaimer, I'm just going to talk real plainly. How much darkness is okay? But do you live that way? I mean, really, how much darkness is okay? Obviously, there's darkness all around us. You're going to come in contact with darkness everywhere you go. So, how much darkness is okay? How much poison in a nice ham and cheese sandwich is okay? I mean, if you do just a little bit, it probably won't ruin the taste. And you may not even get sick. Not for a while. But if you keep doing that, day after day after day, you might wind up in really bad shape, right? So as we look at these questions, let's, let's keep going back to this. How much darkness am I okay with? Um, the thing with magic in movies is, you know, longer ago, witchcraft and magic and demons and these things were portrayed in a negative light. But long about in the 80s, um, early 90s, All of that started changing out of Hollywood and we started to see these things, occultism, um, Satanism, witchcraft, all of these things put in a positive light and made to seem fun and enjoyable. And in fact, it was even brought, I mean, remember series like Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Charmed and different things like that that make it seem stimulating, exciting, positive, humorous. Humor is always a way to try to bring in things that we would ordinarily not accept. Because, well, it brought a laugh. You know, it's fun. And so, I'm going to give some simple ways to, to, to hold up a measuring stick, and then we're going to talk the spiritual side of it. So, in the natural... Here's just a very simple, natural way for you to make some judgment calls. When you look at any kind of fantasy book, any kind of book that has all these things in it, whether it be Disney or Lord of the Rings, can, you, can I go and find information in a library or bookstore that's going to enable me to replicate what I read or saw? Is this a natural logical step. Can I go to the, the library and find books that are going to teach me how to do what I just read or saw? Or is it just fantasy? The thing with Harry Potter books is you go into the libraries and into the bookstores right beside the hotter peri, uh, the hotter peri yeah. <laughs> I don't know if Perry's hot or not, but <clears throat> you guys liked that too well. Right beside the Harry Potter books, you'll find the real books on witchcraft and spells and occultism. Why are they together in the bookstore? You, here's, here's a thing for me that was just like, whoa, 
time out when it first came out, when I discovered hearing people that had been witches talking about the names of the spells and things and the similarities to actual occultism, I was like, well, that's not good. In fact, some of the names in Harry Potter, some of the, um, they're like Latin names. They're hard to pronounce. But they're actual names of devils and demons. You want to go around saying the devil's name? Calling a devil? So, this becomes um, real problematic real fast. I don't think people realize how closely associated with the real world that Harry Potter's storyline is. You know, real Wiccans, real witches, real occultists use the popularity of Harry Potter to lure kids toward real world magic. Magic is real. Witchcraft is real. There are other forces and powers out there. One of the things that, um, logically, you look at Harry Potter versus, let's say, uh, Chronicles of Narnia or even Lord of the Rings, is you see things, um, they use this, this moral relativism, and meaning if it feels good, you do it. Meaning that the lines between the moral questions of right and wrong aren't always clear. In order to do the right thing, you might have to do something morally wrong. And it's relative to the situation you're in. And that's dangerous theology. Do we really want our children to be digesting that? And people might say, well, yeah, but you can still draw comparisons, you know, of light and dark and all these things. Um, To a certain extent, especially when you talk of Narnia and Lord of the Rings, there's a lot of those comparisons, yes, Uh, When you come to Harry Potter, though, what you are doing is you are comparing to the exact opposite of how she wrote the book. Now, she wrote the book, it's witchcraft. She's not a professed Christian. She hasn't said she's a Christian. She doesn't claim to be a Christian. And so when she writes these books and says, here's what it is, they're doing these spells. It's occultism. I mean, the, 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 the symbols and things that are in there, it's all full of occultism. From the love of owls to all kinds of other things. Yeah, God created owls, but the occult uses those symbols and things. And so, when you go and you look at this and you say, well, I'm going to draw out the comparisons of good and evil out of a book of witchcraft. Really? I mean, isn't that just like insanity gone to seed? Like, the exact opposite of what she's saying the book is, we're going to use it to justify and compare to Christianity. It's not how she explains it, so it's contradicting the author, which just seems a little silly to me. Here's what uh, one witch, 38-year-old Jade, had to say. She said, I've seen a definite change in attitudes toward magic. And being a witch says Jade, a 38-year-old witch and suburban mom who was once criticized for allowing her kids to dress up as witches and wizards, the Harry Potter world has done wonders to bring witchcraft out of the realm of devil-worshipping, which it never was, and into mainstream society. That's true. Witchcraft and Satanism, two different things. Same camp, all right. same side of darkness, One openly worships the devil. The other one's just trying to manipulate their surroundings using power. That's the difference. 
So, again, I ask the question, how much darkness is okay? I'm not going to tell, I will tell you, throw the Harry Potter books away. On the other books, all the way down to Disney. You need to ask, start asking yourself the question, are these books good for me to have? Is it good for me to have something in my home that glorifies evil behavior? You say, well, yeah, but they did a good thing with evil. You know, the prince broke the spell with a kiss. Yeah. Let me read you some scriptures. I know this seems strong. Like I said, I didn't show up tonight to be liked. Romans 1, 29, verse 1, verses 29 through 32 is what I'm going to read to you. And I'm going to read a bunch of scriptures. What I'm not going to read is in the Old Testament where he says, you know, witches need to be stoned, where anyone that does witchcraft needs to be put to death, where all of this stuff was forbidden. Okay? We we know that's there. We don't that's so obvious we don't have to go there. Let's go look at it more from today's perspective, you and I as believers. In Romans 1.29, it says, they, now this is talking about a group of people that had completely been given over to evil because they kept compromising with darkness and allowing more and more and more to come in until finally the Lord just said, fine. Just be as evil as evil can be. So it says, they were filled with all unrighteousness, evil, greed, wickedness, They are full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. Although they know full well God's just sentence, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but even applaud others who practice them. So when we buy books, ungodly books, at what point are we applauding when we are entertained by evil, when we are entertained by representations that are evil? At what point are we like this, that we're just applauding, approving of something that goes completely, I'm talking things in the realm of magic, that goes completely against what Christ came to do? And we're going to be okay with having, well, it's just a children's book. Like, that would be the place you don't want it. Right? Because they're children. But that's why it comes through in those areas so much, because they are very impressionable. Jesus said this, He said in Luke eleven thirty three through 36 no one lights a lamp and puts it in the cellar or under a basket, but on a lampstand so that those who come in may see its light. Your eye is the lamp of the body. When your eye is good, your whole body is full of light. But when it's bad, your body is also full of darkness. Take care then that the light in you is not darkness. If therefore your whole body is full of light with no part of it in darkness... It will be entirely illuminated as when a lamp shines its light on you. So watch so that the light in you is not darkness. How much darkness is okay? Matthew 6, here's here's the same passage, but in Matthew's Gospel, 
23 and 24, Matthew 6. It says, but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? If you claim to be dividing good and bad by the measure of darkness, witchcraft, that's deep darkness. If you claim that if the light you have is actually from darkness, it's not light at all. He says, I'll read it again. So if the light within you is darkness, what you claim is light, how deep is that darkness? No one can be a slave of two masters since either he will hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. Acts 19. So how much darkness is okay? I'm not telling you what, what you need to do with those books and how you need to decide. What I am telling is telling you is you should, you should make a decision. You should re-examine your decisions. Why have I made the decisions I've made? And maybe you need to go home and have a bonfire. Roasting marshmallows is always a good time. And you know, not just books, movies and, and other things like this. Acts 19 and verse 11 says God was performing extraordinary miracles by Paul's hand so that even face cloths and work aprons that had touched his skin were brought to the sick and the diseases left them and, see we often see that part and we go, yeah, that's awesome. See the next part, he says, and the evil spirits came out of them. Wow. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists attempted to pronounce the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I command you by the Jesus that Paul preaches. So these guys, this is what they did. Go around casting out devils, or tried to do. And they're like, "Where Paul, he, he uses the name of Jesus, devils leave, we're going to do that. To them, it was just an incantation, a magic ritual, rite, Something to say and things happen. Verse 14, seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. The evil spirit answered them, I know Jesus and I recognize Paul, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit leaped on them, overpowered them all and prevailed against them so that they ran out of that house naked and wounded. You ever hear the TV show Naked and Afraid? That may be where it came from. (laughs) If you haven't heard of that show, God bless you. Verse 17, this became known to everyone who lived in Ephesus. So people talked about it. Both Jews and Greeks, then fear fell on all of them, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many who had become believers came confessing and disclosing their practices, while many of those who had practiced magic collected their books and burned them in front of everyone. So they calculated their value and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. In this way, the Lord's Word flourished and prevailed. Now, how did the Lord's Word flourish and prevail? What was considered the test of whether it flourished or prevailed here was as people got rid of the occultism, as people turned from darkness, as people got rid of the magic books and all of these things. This was considered the Word prevailing and flourishing. 
So how long are we as a church going to sit by and go, oh, well, this darkness in my house is okay? Not in my house. That's why, like Joshua, as for me and for my house, we will serve the Lord. You know, I'm not going to answer for you, and you're going to answer for yourself. So I don't sit in judgment of you, right? I don't sit in condemnation of you. You know, I'll just say this. There are a lot of toys out there that are just demonic today. A lot of toys. It's something that I'm sensitive to in the spirit. Man, I pick it up like all the time. I see toys on the shelf and go, that thing is straight inspired by a devil. And you know all the big eyes you find on all the toys? That's all demonically inspired. We've thrown gifts away that have come into our house like that. Yeah, I'm just going to, since I'm making egg salad... I'm just going to go for it. You know, you give my child a a unicorn, it's going to get thrown away. That's not God-inspired. You say, well, unicorns are in the Bible. Not like that. We've probably thrown as many gifts away as we've kept close. Because a lot of people are simply not... You know, when a gift comes into my house and I look at it, I'll have an immediate, yeah, it's okay, or no, it's not okay. You know, this is just an example. Owls. We talked about owls a little bit ago. For some reason, the occult world likes owls. and use an owl as a symbol of, I don't know what, but they use it. And somebody gave a gift to our little one. Why? Because they love them. Not because they were trying to do something ugly. And it was this owl. And, um, well, guess what happens? The instant I saw the owl, I had this... <clears throat> probably just, you know, being too particular. I'm probably just just being, I don't know. You know, so I talk myself out of ha- having her get, because after all, she's so pleased with it. She just thinks this thing is amazing. Well, guess what happens? That night, she has a nightmare. The owl is attacking her and biting her. That's just as demonic as the day is long. Man, I cast that devil out. I threw the owl away. And of course, because that was going to, you know, it was her owl. You know, I'm smart enough to know it needs to be replaced. So I went out and bought an eagle and brought it home and she thought that was great. I'm just saying. You have to use discernment. You have to check in your spirit. Don't just accept things because, well, they're available. All right, do you still love me? Let's look at another question. I think that was such a good question because it's a question that we need to... Probably a lot of us have thought that question and it's a question that we need to take a real straight, honest look at and say, yeah, what about that? Here's another question that is also good, and the funny part about this one is when I read a certain scripture several weeks ago, and I read over a certain word, the word predestinated, I had a knowing on the inside immediately that someone has a question about this. 
But I didn't want to take the time to go into it right then. I didn't feel I was supposed to, and so I just can, I actually paused. You can go back and listen to the recording. I paused for a moment and checked, should I address this right now? No, I just kept going. And then sure enough, the question did show up. So I thought that was great. As we have read over verses in service about being set apart that include the word predestinated, how does that fit with free will? I have heard it as referring to God knowing what we would choose as opposed to Him predestinating some and not others. Is that correct? Thank you for helping me understand. So what we want to do is, again, we're going to look at a number of scriptures on this, and we're going to do some background first. Let's go over to Ephesians. This is where Ephesians chapter 1 is where the scripture was that I had read, and let's just start reading it. In uh, verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. Man, that is like rich in every way. Just every spiritual blessing. It's amazing. Verse 4, For He chose us. Everyone say, He chose. He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. So when did He choose us? Before the whole thing even began chose you before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love, He predestinated us to be adopted through Jesus Christ for Himself. According to His favor and will. So it was His will. It's what He wanted. He predestinated us to be that. Verse 6, to the praise of His glorious grace that He favored us with in the Beloved. We have redemption in Him through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, that He lavishes on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of His will. See, since you know it, it's no longer a mystery. Hallelujah. According to His good pleasure that He planned in Him for the administration of the days of fulfillment to bring everything together in the Messiah, both things in heaven and things on the earth in Him. Listen to this. We have also received an inheritance in Him, predestinated. Your inheritance is predestinated. According to the purpose of the One who works out everything in agreement with the decision of His will, so that we who have already put our hope in the Messiah might bring praise to His glory. When you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed in Him, you were also sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. He is the down payment of our inheritance for the redemption of the possession to the praise of His glory. So what is this predestination? Are some people predestinated to be believers and go to heaven and other people are not? That's the question, right? That's where we go, okay, so how does this all fit? You've heard of the verse that says, rightly divide the word of God. The reason he says rightly divide is because there is a wrong way to divide it. There is a way to divide it that's not right. And so how do we rightly divide the word of God? With other words. That's how you do it. You look, you, you interpret a scripture from the lens of other scriptures. How does this fit with what he said over here and here and here and here? Does this fit together or does this seem like a contradiction? 
And, and I promise you, if you ever think you've found a contradiction in the Word, you haven't. You just found something you don't understand. So, how do we rightly divide what is predestination? Well, let's look at other Scriptures. You know, uh, uh, one thing that will help you a lot of times when you read a verse you don't understand is you stop too quickly. Read the next verse. And a lot of times it will clear, clear it right up. Or go back and read the verse that comes before it. Right? Get the context. So let's do background and let's go... Um, you don't need to turn to these. I'll, I'm going to go to a bunch of Scriptures. Um, and let's, let's look at Exodus 32, verses 32 and 33. Now this is where um, the children of Israel have sinned. God wants to just smoke them all. And um, Moses is pleading for their life to the Lord. And he says now in verse 32, he says, Now if you would only forgive their sin, but if not, please erase me from the book you have written. So apparently there's a book with Moses' name in it. Moses is saying, man, erase it. The Lord replied to Moses, I will erase whoever has sinned against me from my book. Moses hadn't sinned. He said, I'm not going to erase you. That wouldn't be right. I erased those who've sinned against me. So apparently, he has a book, and apparently, he has an eraser. <laughs> now, how did these people's names get into that book to begin with? Let's look in Revelations chapter 3 before we answer that question. Revelations 3 5 says, now, this is one of the letters written to the seven churches. It says, in the same way, the victor will be dressed in white clothes and I will never erase his name from the book of life. Oh, now it gives the name to the book. The book of life. I will never erase his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and before his angels. This is important to understand because your name can be erased. Else it wouldn't say that. Otherwise, he'd say, your name's been written, it's done, it's sealed, it's over. Hallelujah. But no, your name can be erased from the book of life. Revelations 22.19 says, And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life. From the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. So there is a book of life that has people's names in it. And there can be an erasing that happens there too. Now, I believe that this book of life, that everyone's name is there when you're born. When you're conceived, let's put it that way. Why would I say that? Jesus said that the kingdom of God belongs to such as these, the little ones. Jesus said the little ones have an angel that's always observing the face of the Father. So that means spiritually they're alive to the Lord when they're, when they're way little. And then as they get older and mature and reach the age of accountability, they now have to choose to make Jesus the Lord of their life. And if they do not choose that, I believe there's an erasing that happens. See, before the foundation of the world is what it said in Ephesians. For He chose us so the choosing happened before the foundation of the world. 
All right, let's keep reading. There's, did you know there's more than just the book of life? There's other books. Revelations 20.12 says, I also saw the dead and the great, the small, standing before the throne. The books were opened. Another Books, so there's multiple, plural. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by what was written in the books. There is a record being kept of you and I's actions, of our works. Whether or not your name is in the book of life depends on whether or not you have received salvation. But your works are being kept track of regardless. It goes on later in verse 15, he says, anyone not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So the book of life is where you want your name. Jesus, He personally taught it this way. Now remember, I haven't, I haven't forgotten our question about predestination. I'm just setting a foundation for something. Jesus taught it this way in Matthew 25. He said, verses 31 through 34, for those taking notes, says, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate them one from another just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on the left. So here you see that's the judgment of salvation has just now taken place. Sheep, goats, separated. So what he says next is not judging their salvation, it's judging their works. But he goes on, he says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So are these people just chosen they don't have a choice in the matter these i've i've allotted i've assigned i've predestinated a certain number of people to be saved and the rest i've predestinated to go to hell does that fit with other scripture that we know nope it doesn't does it romans 8 that's a favorite chapter for many of you in verse 30 it says those he predestinated he also called And those He called, He also justified. And those He justified, He also glorified. So let's ask the question, who has Jesus justified? All. All. Now that doesn't mean they receive it, right? So who has He called? He's called everyone. Who has He then predestinated? Those that He predestinated, He called. Those He called, He justified. Let's look at it a little bit further. Jesus said this. He said, many are called, but few are chosen. Many are, or the word is appointed. Many are appointed. Many are, it's also the word invited. Many are invited, but not everyone is chosen. So clearly, not everyone who was called is chosen. So, who is he choosing? Those that answer the call. Everyone is called, but not everyone will respond to the call. So, who are these many that are called? Let's go read some red letters in John 3. You can turn with me to this one. John chapter 3, you know the famous verse, John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Okay, we're going to back up a little bit and read verse 14 first. So we're answering the question, who is predestinated? 
Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. So that everyone, say everyone, everyone, who believes in Him will have eternal life. For God loved the world in this way. He gave His own, one and only Son so that everyone, say everyone, who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world that He might condemn the world, but that the world... Now, who is the world? Everyone. That the world might be saved through Him. Anyone. Say anyone. Does that leave anybody out? Nobody. Nobody's left out. Anyone who believes in Him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. This then is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone, nobody left out, who practices wicked things hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. And anyone, that's no one left out, who lives, who lives, who, who, how? They do what? They live by the what? Truth. Live by the truth. That means do the truth. That's what that means. So anyone who does the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. So whosoever will, does, is that free for everyone? Revelations twenty two seventeen says this, both the Spirit and the bride say, Come. Anyone who hears should say, come. And the one who is thirsty should come. Check this one out. Whoever desires should take the living water as a gift. 1 Timothy 2, verses 3 and 4 says, This is good and it pleases God our Savior. Who wants, who, speaking of God, God wants everyone to be saved. God wants everyone to be saved. Nobody left out. So, what's God's will concerning every person's salvation on this planet that ever was or will be? Be saved. He has predestinated them to be saved. Who wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth? How could it be for everyone if everyone wasn't predestinated? It couldn't be. It would just be for the ones, just the ones that were predestinated. So we'd have to cross out everyone and write down the few. Because many are called, but few are chosen. But it doesn't say that. 2 Peter 3.9 says this, The Lord does not delay His promise. He's talking about this, the, the return of Christ coming. As some understand delay, but is patient with you. Not wanting any to perish but all to come to repentance. So the Father doesn't want anybody to go to hell. It's not His will that anyone goes to hell. He has made an inheritance for every person. Has predestinated them. He called every person. Jesus said in Matthew 18.14, He said, in the same way, it is not the will of your Father in heaven that one of these little ones perish. Saying it again. Jesus is saying it. Is Jesus a liar? One of these little ones, well, everyone was a little one at one point. So that includes everybody. 
It's not God's will that they perish. Well, if it's not God's will that they perish and He didn't predestinate everyone, we got a problem. Peter said of Jesus this way, he said, He was chosen before the foundation of the world, but was revealed at the end of times for you. Jesus was chosen. Remember in Ephesians, it says that those saints in Ephesians they were writing the letter to, says they were chosen before the foundation of the world. Jesus was chosen before the foundation of the world. But did you know Jesus could have not answered the call? When He was in the garden, He had free will too. And He had to choose to carry out the will of God. In fact, there was a, there was a difference of will there. You know, He's in the garden. He says, man, is there another way to do this? Can, can, could you relieve me of that, please? And because He knew what God's will was, then He goes, ah, never mind. Scratch that. Your will be done. He knew what it was. And he's saying, let's do it your way. And so he had to choose. He was, he was chosen. He was called. He answered the call. Now, do you think the Father knew in advance how Jesus would respond? Of course, because he's not in time like you and I are. He's outside of time. So he can see a thousand years from now exactly all the details because he's looking at it from the outside of it. And so, when you think of, of it from Jesus' perspective, you know, or from the Father's perspective, He has a foreknowledge of what we will choose. We're all predestinated, but we're not all going to answer that call. I mean, maybe in this house, yes, we will, but I'm saying in the world. There's people that die and go to hell every day, right? And that's not even God's will. It goes against His will. In uh, 1 Peter 1, Verses 1 and 2, it says, Chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, and set apart by the Spirit of obedience for the sprinkling with the blood of Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. So all are called, all are predestinated, yet not all will say yes to the call. And therefore, they're not end up going to hell. And in God's foreknowledge, He knows who will say yes. So I strongly encourage you, say yes. You know, knowing in advance what you're going to do is not deciding for you. Right? Knowing in advance what you're going to do is not making the decision for you. It's just knowing how you, in your own will, what decision you're going to make. Alright, so... Thank God that all of us are predestinated and thank You, Lord, that all of us have equal opportunity to be called the sons of the living God and daughters. But there's male and female sons, right? 